some point in our life, and as you think back, perhaps you can still remember what that ultimate hiding place was. You know, that one that maybe you stumbled on by chance, or perhaps it's the one that, uh, that, that you just, you found it one day, and, and nobody could find you, and, and it was the place where you went so that um, perhaps it was in your house. I don't know how you did hide and seek, but I don't know if it was in your house somewhere, if it was outside or somewhere in the neighborhood. Uh, but wherever it was, it was, you know, when somebody, the, the seeker was looking for you, they finally would give up. And you were still found. You were still in your hiding spot. You win. You know, maybe you used even that hiding spot as a place that you could go to again and again, even when it wasn't that game. And then you just kind of wanted to escape a little bit. Nobody could find you. And it was a place that you could go to, a secret spot, a sanctuary. You know, David, we've been looking at David, the psalmist, and looking through the book of Psalms. And, and David, he had many hiding places during his years of running from King Saul. But one of those hiding places he would find and then all of a sudden he would realize that he needed to move on because it had been discovered and overrun by Saul and his soldiers. And David then, he, he would run to Samuel. We see different hiding places that David would have, the prophet Samuel being one of them. But he couldn't stay with Samuel long because he knew that even he being a man of God could not protect him from Saul as Saul wanted to kill him. And so David would then run off to another hiding place. And we read one time when he went into the wilderness of Ziph. And it says that he found a place there that he thought he could hide for a while. But eventually the the Ziphites betrayed his location to Saul. And Saul came looking after him or uh, chasing after him. And so David again was on the run. And so then he went to this little town of Kalia, and in, in Kalia, he saved uh, them there from a Philistine siege. And even though he saved them from the Philistines that were attacking, they still gave him up to Saul. And so he was on the run again. David, he then went from there and he found a place, and a hiding place amongst what was his enemies, the Philistines. And the Philistines, they took him in. They said, we see you as a man on the run. How about you come and, and you can even, uh, you can even uh, take refuge here in this city of Ziklag. And as he was there in Ziklag, they said, you know, we could use a good fighter like you. How about you lead our armies into battle? And so he led the army of Ziklag and they went out to battle and while he was out at battle, they turned around and as they were uh, on their way home, they found that the Amalekite raiders had come in and they had destroyed the city of Ziklag. Again, the hiding place burned down to the ground. Another hiding place gone. You know, in the physical, David, he never really managed to find a good hiding place, a good hiding spot. But... We see spiritually that he learned that there was a place that he could go to. That even in the physical, when it seemed like he was always on the run, he never could find a real place of safety. When it seemed like everything was always coming up empty 
as he was running from Saul for years and years, that, that he did find, we see this in the Psalms that he would write, that there was an ultimate sanctuary that was in the Lord. See, maybe no one is literally hunting you down today and trying to kill you. But all of us face physical and emotional and spiritual dangers in life. Maybe you've said before, you know, I, I just want to run away and hide. Anybody ever felt that before, kind of wanted to do that? You know, maybe I just want to lay low for a little while. I don't want, I don't want anything. But this is the good news. There is a place of refuge. There is a hiding place. And the name of that hiding place is Jesus Christ. You can run to him and you can find a hiding place. You can run to him and you can find a place of refuge. We're going to go here to the book of Psalms, chapter 27, if you're there. Uh, we're going to begin in verse number one. You know, for some reason, when we're younger, and I guess even sometimes when we're older, people ask, what is your favorite Bible verse? Anybody ever asked you that before? And I remember all, you know, being asked that many times as, as I was younger, what's your favorite Bible verse? And eventually, I think I was uh, probably eight, nine years old, somewhere around there, that I eventually came to the conclusion, well, I better pick one. And I don't know how I ended up picking it other than I remember being in the car on the way home from church when I did it. And I opened, it was right here in Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. And that became my favorite Bible verse. And uh, I've had many more that since then I could probably say, uh, you know, be, are my favorites just depending on where I'm at in life. But this is a good one here. This is a whole, this is a good chapter. Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and they fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. That this being that the Lord is my strength and the Lord is my refuge. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion, in the secret of His tabernacle shall He hide me, He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. And when, when you said, he's speaking to God here. When you said, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. He, will, he says, teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in the plain path 
because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over to the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me in such as breathe out cruelty. Just a couple more verses. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I just wanted to speak here this morning on this. Uh, you, you read it there in the, the midst of that psalm about seeking the face of God. We're going to go back, though, to that very first verse in this first section. In fact, in fact these first three verses uh, are this introduction to this psalm that are speaking about the strength that we have in God. That there is no reason to fear. There is no reason for us to have any fear. Why? Because God is on our side. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Is anybody in here afraid of the dark? Maybe you're not, you're not willing to, to lift up your hand. We got a couple that are, that are okay with lifting up their hand. They're, they're not fond of the dark. Maybe you're not paralyzed by it, but, but you're not fond of going out when it's, when it's dark outside, you don't know what's out there. Even you go into your house sometimes and you, you would rather turn the light on and instead of going in the dark and not knowing uh, what's there. Anybody ever been in a, a building before that you were unfamiliar with and it was dark and it's just a little, a little creepy a little bit sometimes. You don't, you don't know. It's, you know, nobody else there. And, you know, who, what's hiding around the corner? What is it that's hiding in the darkness? And there's something about darkness that it does bring fear. But the same thing is true about the darkness in our life and not just a physical darkness, but sometimes we can find ourselves in a place of darkness where we don't understand where we're at. We can't really feel around for our circumstances and then figure out, God, why are these things happening? And why is, why does it feel like things are, are, are coming down around me? And, and why does it feel like I'm just in this place where, where I can't really get a footing and can't really, uh, figure out where I'm at? You know, in that place of darkness, the best thing that you can do is turn to the light. When you're in the, when you're in the place of darkness, and perhaps you've, you, you've been there before where those, you, you're trying to, to figure out, you know, where, what's going on around me? What is it that is causing all these things in my life that are, that are happening? And, and you're there and you can feel the fear begin to set in. You've been there before? The, the paralyzing fear that begins to set in. And, and what the enemy would love to do in those moments is to capitalize on that fear and, and to paralyze you and to get you to sit there in the darkness and get you to, to, to wallow in the fear and get you to begin to play images of, of what's going to happen. And you begin to, to, to play out, you know, the scenarios of, okay, this is going to happen and then this is going to happen and this. And we can, we can get all these things that are all built upon this foundation of fear but in the midst of that darkness there is one that has the right perspective there is one that is able to shine light into the darkness and that is Jesus Christ that we can turn to the Lord who is my light and my salvation 
You turn to God and He is able to bring a clarity to you. And you may not even be able to, in that moment, still see, you know, and and figure out everything that's going on. But when you turn to God, you understand He knows. He knows why I'm in this circumstance. He knows why I'm here right now. And as long as He knows I'm okay, as long as I am covered in Him and I belong to Him and I am connected to Him. In John chapter 8, verse 12, it says that Jesus again said to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. See, the great thing about darkness is, no matter how dark it gets, no matter if it is uh, in, the, in the, the deepest cave where there is no light that can reach it, no No amount of darkness can resist even a little bit of light. Darkness cannot snuff out the light. If you've ever been in a cave before, and uh, that that tour guide, uh, it's been years since I've been in a cave, but I remember going down in in Kentucky in the the Mammoth Caves, and they would bring us down and and we were down there, and all they, they have all the lights on, so you know it's, it's safe getting down there. And and then all of a sudden they turn out the lights, and it's just pitch black. Put your hand in front of your face; you can't you can't see anything. And then that tour guide just just lights one little match, and that one little match lights up the entire cavern that you're in. You can see all of this just from that one little tiny match. See, one little light can can bring clarity to where you're at. The darkness that you're in, the, the confusion that you're in, that place where, where you're at, it, it cannot snuff out the light. And God is the same way. When you turn to Him in the midst of your darkness, He can come in and He can say, Hey, there's no reason for fear. Trust. Trust me. Trust me. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I just want to remind you that we are never strong enough to face the world without God. We we may think that we are strong. We may think that we have, uh, you know, good common sense, and that we've made our uh, our way through the world this this long, and 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 we're okay. We can make it on our own. That, that we are self-sufficient, but the reality is none of us are truly self-sufficient. We need God. We need God. You don't have the ability to, to get through life uh, and, and all the things that life is going to throw at you on your own. We, you need a relationship, a strong relationship with God where when we are weak, we can lean on His strength. Because there will be times when we get weak. There will be times when, if, when, when it feels like even our closest friends that have always been there for us, that they're not there right now. And I need the closest friend, which is the Lord my God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9, it says that he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon us. That my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is God 
speaking here uh, about those whom he uh, whom he loves he says my strength the, the the things that i'm able to do it, it really comes out it really shines when you are at your weakest point when you are at your weakest place god says that's when i shine brightest that's when i am the strongest because i come in and i'm able to defeat whatever it is i'm able to lift you up i'm more able to come in and be your strength so you don't have to be afraid of the enemies and the foes as the psalm continues on it says that my enemies and my foes they they come they're trying to devour me it's it's the the imagery that the psalmist uses here is as if it's the wild beasts that are coming and they're trying to eat up my flesh. It's kind of a gruesome picture uh, when you when you think of, of what he's saying there, but it's it's the, the reality of his situation. He said, I'm running here and they're trying to kill me. And maybe you're not running for your physical life, but the enemy of our soul, his agenda is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is the agenda of the enemy of our soul and, and the enemies that are coming against us. That is their goal. It is to eat up my flesh. It is to steal, to kill, to destroy me spiritually and to bring me into a place where my, my relationship with God is, has been severed. And I think that I can do this on my own and I, I, he will try to tear you down and he will do everything that he can to separate you from the church. But he says, as long as I have God on my side, and as long as I stick close to him, then my enemies, that that is their agenda, they instead will be the ones that are going to stumble and fall. That it's my enemies that will stumble and fall. They thought that I was going to stumble and fall. They thought that as they were chasing me, that there would be the opportunity where, where I would fall and, and they would pounce and that would be their greatest, uh, greatest day. But, but instead, as I run, God keeps me running and he gives me the strength. Come on. If you're there right now, I want you to just continue to lean on God. He will give you the strength to keep on going. If you feel like you can't go anymore, keep on going. Because one day those enemies, they are going to stumble and fall. And you are, you are not going to be just running for your life, your spiritual life every day. There's going to be a day when you are able to stand and say, I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. I've come this far. And there's nothing that the enemy can do to tell me that he has anything over me. But I have made it. I made it. I made it. See, I'm not afraid of the enemies even that would wage war against me because God is on my side. If they all come together and they wage war against me, God is still on my side. He goes in in verse number 4 of Psalm chapter 27. He says, there is one desire that I have. One thing that I desire of the Lord. And that's the one thing that I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord. To acquire in his temple. Now. It's an interesting thing for David to say. Because David was not of the tribe of Levi. His family was not 
a descendant of the priest. He was not able to enter into the priesthood. And he was not able to be the one that was going daily into the temple, not being a priest himself. Now, he had gone into the temple before. I say temple loosely. The, uh, the, this term here was, uh, is, is just speaking of the, the, the house of the Lord, or the, the place of the Lord. The, the temple, Solomon's temple, had not been built yet. This was, in fact, still the tabernacle uh, that uh, would have been a, a tent-like structure from the time from the days of Moses, and it was here now dwelling in the place of Nob. We read that in First Samuel chapter twenty-one that when David is running for his life at one point uh, from Saul, he runs to the temple or he runs to the tabernacle that is set up there in Nob, and in Nob he goes in and he meets the high, the high priest Abiathar. And he does this on several occasions that he meets with Abiathar. And he, he is able to, to seek refuge there for a short time in the physical tabernacle that has been set up. Now, that tabernacle was certainly a, a, a sacred, holy place. That was the place where uh, for, for hundreds of years uh, it had been established that God's presence dwelt there in the tabernacle. And in the outer courts, you had, uh, so you had a tent that was there, and then you had gates that were uh, around that. And in those outer courts, that was the area where anybody could go. Any Israelite, anybody uh, was able to enter into there as long as they were bringing a sacrifice to God. But only some were able to go into, those of the priesthood, were able to enter into the actual tent. And in that tent, there was two rooms in the tent. The first room that they would go into was known as the holy place. And in the holy place, you had you had these uh, different instruments that were there, the table of showbread and the, the candlestick that was always burning and a, a signifier of the Spirit of God. And you had the altar of incense that was uh, this, this uh, uh, identifying the worship that we would have. And... And in this place, this was, this was a place of worship. It was a place where we would worship. But then beyond that room, there was one more room. It was the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there was only one that was able to go into that room. There was only the high priest that could enter into the Holy of Holies. And even then, he could only enter into the Holy of Holies one day a year. On the Day of Atonement was the only day that he was able to enter into that Holy of Holies. And it was in that room that it had the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, you had the seat or the uh, the covering to that to that box that was in there. And in that box, they had on it these cherubims. And there were these two angels that sat atop it. And it uh, tells us that on that, uh, on that place, that mercy seat where those cherubims were at, that is where it says that the presence of God dwelt there. And there was, uh, there was a, a, a visible uh, illustration of, of the presence of God that dwelt there in the Holy of Holies. There was only one man that was able to go into that place. But for David, he says, 
I desire one thing. All my life, all that I really want to do is not to be king. I know I've been anointed to be the king. My desire is not to slay another giant. My desire is not for them to be singing songs about me out in the streets, about being the one who's killed the thousands and the ten thousands. My goal is not to be a leader of people. My goal is not to be even a, a husband or, or the best father. My, my, goal is, my goal in life, the one thing that I desire most in life is that I could just go into the house of the and that while I'm there, that I could behold the beauty of the Lord. That I, that I could begin to inquire in His temple. That means that I'm in there and I'm, I'm getting to know God. And, I, and I, I'm able to, to really get to know who He is. And, and I, that's my one goal, that the rest of my days that I could spend there with Him. See, this is not something that David himself could actually do. But... He did recognize that even though there's only one man that could enter into the Holy of Holies. I've found, and I found this a long time ago when I was out in the field tending to the sheep. And I was playing those songs. And I would write the songs and I had my harp out and I was just laying there out in the field. And I would begin to sing these praises to God. I, I began to realize that the presence of God, it was not just restricted to that one place. In that one tabernacle that was there in Nob. But that pr same presence that that priest is able to uh, to come and, and to, to enter into that place. That presence of God, he will come right where I'm at. And as I begin to worship Him, I found that the presence of God is not restricted to one little tabernacle. It's not restricted to one little place. But I found that that place, that the presence of God can come even to me, oh little David, that was out there with the sheep. And now here I am running for my life from Saul. And all I have to do is to begin to worship God. And as I begin to worship God, Come on, you ever been there before? You just begin to worship God. You begin to lift up his name. I had, I had several times this week as I just began to put worship music on. And I just had to stop whatever I was doing and just begin to worship God. Oh, he's overwhelming sometimes. Then the presence of God begins to move in. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And all of a sudden that song begins to be sung. And there's something in our, my spirit that says, God, I just need to stop a moment because you moved into this place. And I can't, I can't just go on without recognizing it. When you begin, maybe you're driving your car or wherever you're at. You're in your bedroom. You just begin to lift up your hands and you praise God. God, I worship you. God, I thank you for who you are. Come on, and as you do that, the presence of God will sweep into that place. See, in verses 8 and 9 of this chapter, he says, God, when you said, seek you my face, my heart said, that face, Lord, will I seek. God, you're, you're asking me to come. God, you're asking me, come into my presence. How busy we can get in life 
how busy we can get in life and not even realize that God is asking us. Well, it's a privilege for us to come into the presence of God. What a privilege it is, but, but God is asking. He's inviting us in. He's, he's saying, could you take some time with me? Would you, would you spend some time with me? And, and David's saying, you know, God, I haven't forgot that you're asking me to come to seek your face. God, you said, seek my face. And so, God, thy face will I seek. And he goes on, hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God, of my salvation. Now, the question is, what is the face of God? Because God is a spirit. We, we read that in Scripture that, that God himself is, is not one that has a, a human body. He is not up uh, in, in heaven as a, as a uh, human, uh, with human representation, but he is a, a, a spirit. And so what is the face of God? So we find through Scripture, especially the Old Testament, when we read uh, this phrase, the face of God, that it is a divine encounter that results in God's favor being shown. When you seek the face of God, it's, it's speaking of these divine encounters that somebody would have. And from that, they, they, they go away from the, being in the presence of God, having the favor of God on them. We see, uh, and, and you, can, you can read this in the book of Genesis, but we see that Jacob, he had a wrestling match with God one time. It was a theophany of God or a, a, a human uh, representation human representation of, of God that would come down and and he, he had a wrestling match all night with this man named Jacob and and following that he, he realized this was just no mere man this was God that I was wrestling with and so he named that place his life was forever changed in that moment his is the trajectory of his life completely changed in fact his name even changed as God says you'll no longer be called Jacob but you will be called Israel from this day forward and and he named that place, Jacob did, he named it Peniel. Peniel meaning the face of God. Moses had an encounter with God. We read about it in Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus chapter 33, in fact, if we could turn there, we, uh, verse number 9, it tells us that it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar it descended and it stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand there at the tabernacle door. And all the people, they rose up and they worshipped every man in his tent door. The Lord, he spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Moses had a face-to-face -face encounter, if you will, uh, meaning that they had a, a conversation while they were there in the tabernacle. But it continues on in, uh, later on in this chapter. Uh, I guess let's, verse 12. And Moses said to the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and ha thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by, the, by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Let's go to verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Moses now, asking God, says, God, show me your glory. 
God, show me who you are. I want to see all of you. I, I've been worshiping you. I, I know who you are, but I want to see, see you for all of who you are. And God said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I shall show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face. There shall be no man see me and live. Verse 21, the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. Thou shalt stand upon a rock and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock and will cover thee with, thy hand, with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. This is a, a very... Um, uh, we, we could dive deep into that, uh, what was taking place there. We don't have the time to dive deep into it. But we see this longing that Moses has to see the face of God. To encounter God in a way that nobody had ever encountered God. And we see him as he's seeking the face of God. That God says, you're not able to see my face. I can't show you that uh, the, the fullness of who I am. But, but here's something that's amazing. And I, I just had somebody that... Uh, called me the other day and uh, was talking about this here, this uh, what took place with Moses, and and they, they they then brought me to the the Mount of Transfiguration that's in Matthew chapter seventeen. And if you go there, this is when Jesus comes up to the mountain with some of his disciples, and while he's up there, it says that there were some who met him there, Moses being one of them, and as Moses was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And we see that uh, the, the face of, of Jesus began to glow. And we see uh, the, the realization in the disciples of who Jesus really was, that he was the Son of God. We see then that the fulfillment of the wish and the desire of Moses was, was fulfilled. The desire that Moses had thousands of years before to see the face of God. He was able to see it thousands of years later up on the mountain when Jesus met him there. And he was able to see the face of God there on that mountain. What he desired long ago. God said, it's not time right now for you to truly know who I am. But there will come a time when you will see me face to face. Moses was able to encounter him. See, God's directive was simply to seek Him. It's in Deuteronomy four twenty nine. This is uh, this is the passage that scholars uh, believe that, that David was really pulling from in his psalm when he's saying that God asks this question: If thou seek, uh, let's read four twenty nine. But if uh, from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find Him. If thou seek Him with all thy heart, with all thy soul. See, the question is today, how do we seek the face of God? We seek the face of God in prayer. We seek the face of God in worship. We seek the face of God by trusting Him. We seek the face of God by being obedient to Him. We read that in 27 verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. God, I want to be obedient. God, I want to be taught the way that you would have me to go. Amen. I just want to bring this to a close here with these final chapter, final verses in this chapter. Verse 13 that says that I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Since I fainted, 
I was weak. I was there in the darkness. I was there needing strength. I fainted. But yet, I still see the goodness of God. Come on, you may look around right now and you say, I don't see much good in my life right now. I see a whole lot of heartache and struggle. And I know this isn't everybody's circumstance. We see the goodness of God all around us. And, and, but, but yet, even then, when we are in those places, we could be like David who says, I fainted. And here I am running for my life. But I still see the goodness of God. In the waiting, I see the goodness of God. In the time where I'm still looking around in my circumstance. And my circumstance is that of despair. My vocabulary that's going to come out of my mouth is full of my confidence in God. That you are good. Oh, how great is thy goodness. God, there is nothing around me that could ever demean you. God, there is nothing that could bring you low. For the goodness of God is always good. Trials are going to come, but God is still good. Timothy tells, or Paul, he, he writes to Timothy in verse four or chapter 4, verse 8. He says, bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of this, that life that now is, and of that which is to come. There's a promise which is to come. There's a promise in this life and in that to come. When you seek the face of God, all else fails to compare. When you seek the face of God, we realize that God is good. He is so good. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had a missionary who, who came here and, and his family uh, is, is still there. His, his wife's family is, is in, in Ukraine now. And uh, in fact, this week, I want to say thank you to everybody who gave to the church in Ukraine. We, I made a, a delivery a couple of days ago over to uh, the church in Ohio where uh, they're sending those supplies over to the church in Ukraine. And say thank you so much for, uh, for giving those, those things. They were very grateful for them. And uh, the family, the Tomyev family, that is, uh, the pastor, Brother Sergei Tomyev and uh, Sasha uh, their parents that started the church there in Kiev, they are, are there in Ukraine in the midst of a, a war zone. I mean, this isn't just, you've seen the news. You know what the situation is. And they were there in Kiev. That's where their, their house is. That's where their church is at. They have since relocated within the country. They are not leaving the country. They refused to leave. They said, these are our people. We're not going to leave. God has us here for a reason. The church is, is here, and we are still going to lift up God in, in the midst of everything that's going on. And I just happened to see this, this week as they posted a song of them in the midst of a war zone. We're going to close this, this, this service here today with this, this video of, of them, this church, the Tomia family, that is gathered together in the midst of a war. Still declaring God is good. God is good. If you could get that video ready here in this moment. I want you as we 
begin to, as we watch this video here, if you could just join in with them, they're, they're going to be singing in the Russian language. It's the language that's most prominently spoken there in Ukraine. And they're going to be singing that, but you might know the song, you might recognize it. But I just want you to begin to worship along with them as we close this here today, just realizing that even in the midst of a war that's going on, we can still sing about the goodness of God. For God is still good, no matter what is happening in my life. Could we just worship? here today. singing about the goodness of God no matter what. Come on, he's always been good.
on, could we just sing that song in this place? Could we just all sing it right now? Hallelujah, could we declare it? Hallelujah. If you know this song, would you just join with us?